0: Hello again, I hope, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask various people to tell me the five things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule, either for themselves or posterity. They can pick four things that they cherish, and one personal thing that they find embarrassing or unjust or even loathsome. And then we talk about those things. And other things. My guest in this episode is the actress Ellie White. For a number of years, I've watched Ellie as a rising star of the comedy world. But finally, and quite rightly in my opinion, her star has risen. She is probably best known for playing Princess Beatrice in the TV comedy The Windsors, but there are plenty of other things to admire. She's been in Horrible Histories, Year Friends, Inside Number Nine, Murder in Successville, the only show I can think of with three double letters in his name, Class Dismissed, see, only one double letter, Damned, This Time with Alan Partridge, Time Wasters, Staff Let's Flats, alongside her comedy partner Natasha Dimitriou, and most recently she starred in the comedy series The Other One, created by Holly Walsh, and the new BBC Two comedy Semi Detached, with Lee Mack. So, you can imagine how delighted I was to talk to her about the five things she would like to put in a time capsule. I hope you enjoy our conversation.
1: I turned 31 yeah. last week, and besides the fact that it obviously is the oldest I've ever been, <laughs> it did suddenly make me feel, not to rub it in, like, <laughs> it did suddenly make me feel like I'm not, you know, like I am getting older. And yeah. I'd, never, I'd never thought of that before, because I don't think you do in your 20s, you just kind of roll through them. And then when you're in your 30s and you kind of see your friends having children or getting married... Not that I'm like, I'm old, uh, I'm past it, but I suddenly was like, okay, I'm not actually a child anymore. I am sort of someone who has some sort of responsibility in the world, and I'm not, I'm definitely not Gen Z.
0: Mm
1: you are very different from millennials. Very, very different.
0: Yeah, very different. And also <laughs> when you start to look at your life and see it as a percentage mm. or a fraction. Yes. So 31, you go, well, that's half of 62. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't want to think of it like that. You don't want to start going down that route. <laughs> so... Strangely, <laughs> enough, that makes you half my age. That's
1: quite exciting.
0: Is it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I don't know. Like, was was 31 to 62 quite good years for you?
0: Great. Fantastic. But really quick, Ellie.
1: I feel like life is getting, I feel as I get older, I feel more comfortable with myself. Uh, you know, a greater sense of self as you get older, which makes you in turn feel a bit more relaxed and able to enjoy the world a bit more. Yeah. So I do think that there is some grace in getting older, Yeah. even though it's not very trendy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I probably felt sort of at my height, as it yeah. were, at 40.
1: Oh, great. Well, I've got nine years.
0: (laughs) Before you decline.
1: (laughs) Although I think, sadly, like um, women and men in society are still viewed slightly differently. And I think there's something about like being in your 30s as a woman that even though I don't really feel any sort of pressure to... We're we're getting quite sort of deep quite quickly here. Uh, Oh, well. Oh, well. I don't personally feel any sort of pressure to have children. But I do think there is that kind of thing, that sort of shadow hanging over you that's like, so when... Well yeah. you have your first child, if any. And I'm like, Well what if I won seventy five dogs? How's that?
0: <laughs> no, I completely agree. It's um it's very strange, isn't it, that pressure on women. Mm. Particularly actresses. Yeah. You know, being an actress and thinking, Well, I've hit thirty one and mm. you know, so I need to be established now. Well you are, that's a good thing. I think you are established. And also the great thing is that the sort of roles you play and the sort of characters you play,
1: mm. that's
0: a lifetime career. Yeah. Look at Siobhan. Siobhan Finneman, isn't it, who you're doing yeah. uh, the other one with? Yes. And you look at her career and you look at the variety of roles yeah, that yeah. she plays. And she plays extremely glamorous and beautiful women. Yes. And then incredibly dowdy and sad, you know. Yeah.
1: I think, for me, that kind of career is absolutely, um, like, I idolise it. Mm. Because I think it's not a kind of, it's it's so, oh, God... You know when you become completely brain dead when you're yeah. halfway through a sentence? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I've just witnessed it.
1: <laughs> I started, I was thinking about Siobhan, and then I was just picturing her face and her body in my head, and all of all of my words left my mouth. But maybe that's a good way to describe her. <laughs> so she she just it's not a showy career, but it's so established and yeah. so incredible and so varied, like you said. And well, she's a phenomenal actress. Yeah. Um, so versatile like a chameleon Mm. and very like humble and self-deprecating and kind of amazing at the same time um but yeah I just think that sort of path is one I really would love to do myself if I can I do love doing it I I when I first started I was very um unconfident and kind of worried about going into this career and being like there's just no chance I'm going to succeed but luckily I think meeting people and well obviously getting work is a a good sort of validation for that but like I don't know meeting people and trying not to take it too seriously and doing jobs that you really love is a good way of kind of feeling secure, a bit more secure yeah. on that pathway, I guess. And the fact of creating your own work as well. Which yeah, is, you know. yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm. Some of the parts I've done have been, like, real gifts, mm. you know, like Beatrice and <laughs> actually Kathy and the other one and, and like, and Jamie's Statlet's flats, Katia. They're so fun. Yeah. I mean, they're, they are real gifts. Yeah. But I think I do want to be able to be someone who writes and creates and kind of does that at the same time. Yeah. So
0: and why not the rest? Why not produce?
1: I'm too disorganised to produce. Well, <laughs> but I'd like to direct. I would like to direct for sure. Yeah. Well, on that note, will you give me a hundred grand to start <laughs> my own <laughs> business? I can't promise any return.
0: Ellie, look at you! What a mess!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm on drugs right now. Of course. That's why I agreed to do this podcast. <laughs> a
0: little joke. Well, we should do the podcast, but actually, yeah. before even again, before we really start. I'm yeah. going to tell you, I once went to a, a wedding and uh, Beatrice was there. Mm. The Beatrice that you so brilliantly played. Oh, my God. Amazing. And my wife came back from the loo saying she was sitting in the loo and heard <laughs> her and her mates talking. And they were all saying to her, in exactly the voice that you used, <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I expect be you get married next, B, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: And she said, yeah, he wants to get married in a registry office. No, no. And, uh, and and they went, register office? She went, I know. I mean, my fucking grandma would
1: never allow that. It's ridiculous. Oh, my God, that actually is a scene in the winters. <gasps> Bert and George are actually so prophetic because, number one, they've seeded they've the Prince Andrew stuff from the start. And I know that he always was, you know, in the news yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. various things, but they have seeded that from the start. They also so we filmed the last series the Windsors' last October. They wrote a whole storyline about Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family. Wow. So that when it came out in March and they'd already left, the, the storyline was already in there, which was incredible. incredible. And then they had to add a few jokes, because while we were filming, the Prince Andrew stuff came out, and that interview happened the week before we finished filming, but it, you know, this kind of car crash interview. So they added loads of jokes into the last week of filming when we had a few more scenes. But they are very incredible. At, I mean, it must be, like, extensive research into the royal family, which mm. I haven't done any of, but... Very, yeah, as I said, like really prophetic and able to kind of do these amazing predictions. Yeah. And it's,
0: it's, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it was absolutely a scene from the Windsors.
1: So funny. Before I auditioned for it, because I read the script and I was like, this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh, obviously, but I was like, this is really stupid. I was like, I wonder how Beatrice speaks. I'll try and do a sort of posh voice. Mm. And then I I went to the audition and I kind of did that silly posh voice. And then when I came back, I was like, probably actually should see what Beatrice actually speaks like. And I found this video of her on YouTube where she's talking about her job to Andrew Marr. And her job for six months of the year was to decorate... Her grandma, the Queen's, Wendy House in the back garden.
0: <laughs> oh, she must be exhausted poor darling.
1: And she was going around going, and these tiny little plates that I've gathered, yeah. it was so funny and I was like, I don't think I have anything to worry about. No,
0: no. <laughs> they have no idea. No. It's the idea that they then allow themselves to be filmed being those people and don't realise how out of touch mm-hmm. they are,
1: yeah,
0: how disconnected they are.
1: And Fergie, I mean, Katie Wicks plays her so hilariously in the Windsors, but there is this sense when you see her of definitely like, we're still relevant, we're still relevant, we're still here, mm. we're still part of the royal family. It's like the best thing you can do is not be part of the royal family, I think. No, don't do it. It's only the best thing you can do. Get a life. Not done amazing favours for Prince Andrew. Well,
0: and serves him right. <laughs> you know, I'm not a royalist. No. No.
1: I mean, I do think it's amazing. It's a sign that we do live in quite a liberal society that a show like The Windsors that is basically a complete piss take of the monarchy, <laughs> is allowed.
0: True. It's quite nice. Yes, it's good. It's a good sign for the country. At least we haven't got Trump. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> Elliot, we haven't even mentioned the podcast, really.
1: Oh, yeah, the time capsule.
0: The idea is that you're going to put five things from your life into the time capsule. Yes. Have you had a thought about it?
1: I, I have thought about it. I, I purposefully didn't listen to any of... Well, I mean, I went through the list, but I thought I would... Because otherwise I get too... Um, I feel like they pick really good things and I go, oh, I'll try and pick something like that. So I didn't listen to it. No. So I've, I have just picked four isolated things. I don't know if any of them are interesting or, or amusing.
0: That is the game, really. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's quite exciting actually because I said them all out loud to my boyfriend this morning and he was like they're quite a good like dichotomy of like your character oh, like who you are. And I feel like some of them are quite personal and some of them are more broad but most of them are quite niche. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fantastic.
1: Hopefully there'll be something something fun for everyone
0: (laughs) it's something fun for everyone yeah I'm going to change the logo and call it my time capsule something fun for everyone (laughs) says Ellie White
1: it was definitely hard to think about Mm. and it also made me go do I have any good memories from my life (laughs) a few times because I, I was thinking about the thing the one that you want to put in but you don't want to think about it ever again i had more of those options (laughs) oh no no. but then i thought actually quite a lot of those are sort of those cringy memories that you have that you go you know the character building Mm. rather than you know very dark and horrific so that's that's good that is good well there are you know there is Always a few things in one's life that you go, I really wish that had never happened. Mm. And I think that's that's inevitable in life. Yeah. Um, but then the majority you go, it, it, God, this is cheesy. <laughs> no, this makes me who I am. But it absolutely does, especially <laughs> in comedy. I feel like the more embarrassing moments in life are the most informative. Yeah, for
0: me. Because that's generally what you're being asked to portray, isn't it, in comedy?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um but shall I shall I start?
0: Absolutely. Any way you like.
1: Okay, well, my first one. <laughs> this is quite sort of definitely why you would do a podcast with someone younger. But my first thing that I want to put in my time capsule is the website YouTube. <laughs> For me personally, it is like the ultimate kind of democratic. It's it's almost like a, a book about modern life, essentially, because anyone can put anything on there. Mm. And there is there's millions and millions of videos. I mean, I don't know why I'm describing the the what YouTubers everyone knows, but some things that you find on there are so exceptionally weird and amazing, and you would never ever see them otherwise. And I think it has opened, certainly opened my eyes to some seriously worrying. And funny and amazing, like, content that I feel really, like, informed by. And I know that, like, an older generation would be like, what? Read a book, go outside. But I, I mean, I spend so many hours scrolling through YouTube, (laughs) finding weird stuff, finding funny stuff, finding informative things, finding educational videos, finding, it's like a kind of library Mm. for me of, like, the most amazing stuff. My son, whenever I say,
0: I don't know how this works, he says, Google it. It'll be on YouTube.
1: Honestly, you can... So in lockdown, I started to do some embroidery, um, like my granny did. Mm. And... um had no idea how to do it. YouTube told me immediately. YouTube told me every sort of complex stitch, everything, every single thing is on there. And not only one video, but like thousands of videos that people have put on YouTube of like a strange little Eastern European girl being like, and then you put the needle through and pull it through and then pull it back and pull it down. And everyone has their own platform to tell their story and do their thing and do flower arranging. Or like there's this, incredible phenomenon on youtube called asmr have you heard of that no what is it okay i'm gonna do a demonstration i'm gonna do a demonstration (laughs) okay it's where you speak very very softly into a microphone and people find it hypnotic i think some people find it arousing right um most people find it kind of relaxing and hypnotic and it's kind of like this it's like okay so i'm going to um get this um Knife and I'm going to cut the cake and I'm going to put the cake slice on this plate and it's like that.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm very turned on. (laughs) Oh, thank you, thank you. That
1: was that was my goal. But it's got some of the videos on there have millions of views, millions. Wow! And you just think, I mean, I mean, I'm one of them. I'm one of the people that watches this stuff. So I can't shout at anyone else for it. But it is so weird. There's also another phenomenon on there called mukbang, which I think started in South Korea or China. And it's quite disgusting, really, but it's fascinating. It's where people eat vast quantities of food <laughs> by themselves on YouTube whilst talking. So they'll have, like, a plate of, like, noodles so high and they'll just eat them and talk. To them. And it's supposed to be about... So that if you're, say, eating alone at night, you can put on a mukbang video and you'll have company. And have
0: a disgusting guest.
1: Yeah, and have an absolutely revolting guest who's, like, slurping and eating really loudly. (laughs) But it's supposed to be about sort of taking people out of isolation when they eat. Right. And, like, a kind of meeting online. Fascinating. I just find that sort of stuff fascinating. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What's that strange film where the role is reversed, where eating is, in fact, socially unacceptable.
1: Not the thing that just came on to Netflix?
0: No, I don't think... Well, unless they've repeated it. I think it's quite an old sort of French film or something. It would be a French or French or German film. Oh. But, uh, but everybody sits at a table, you know, sitting on toilets, crapping.
1: Oh, my God. And then
0: people say, excuse me, I, I'm just going to go and um, <clears throat> visit the... Uh, <clears throat> and they go and sit in cubicles and eat. And they get embarrassed if people can hear them eating.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah,
0: it's good, isn't it? It's a good idea. Oh, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, this is the opposite of that.
0: Yeah, this is, look at me eat.
1: <laughs> this is, yeah, and it's, and it's very weird. And then the comments underneath YouTube videos is honestly like a whole just mind fuck, yeah. if you will, of who are these people, trolls, keyboard warriors. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch a video, a Justin Bieber music video on there, and then there'll be like an entire political discussion going on underneath. It has nothing to do with the video. Wow. It's layers and layers of unpicking and I, I find it fascinating.
0: Yeah. Adam Buxton does that thing, doesn't he, where he goes through them and finds all yeah. the different things. and
1: Well, he finds the really stupid people who <laughs> write such <laughs> ridiculous things underneath and he reads them out in funny voices. I don't go on YouTube
0: very often. I might do now. I might look for people eating. But, um, Please. Yeah, okay. But uh, every now and again I've found it sort of catches me. Uh, generally, if I happen to go on it when I'm a bit drunk. Now, I might find one of those videos – which is quite sort of sad or uplifting or something, mm. you know, a dog seeing its owner for the first time. First yeah, years. yeah, yeah. Oh, those terrible ones of American soldiers suddenly coming home to their children.
1: And surprising their family. And surprising
0: their family. I watch one and, you know, I, I choke up.
1: You start crying.
0: And it yeah. just goes to the next one. And I I watch 50 of them. One, they're all exactly the same. And I just sit there sobbing.
1: Yeah, you can say goodbye to hours and hours <laughs> of your life. You know, it's not it's not healthy. I, I'm not advocating this, but I think from my point of view, I find it quite. It is now like, as I said, like a library of different characters and being able to observe the world. Mm. You know, people go on there to talk about their problems. Mm-hmm. They go on there to, and yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a sort of slightly weird narcissistic side to it. But I find those characters interesting too and funny and, and insightful into what i'm writing and y- you know people that you would never usually interact not that i'm interacting with them but i'm seeing them in a way that i wouldn't have had that access to no if i didn't have youtube <laughs> youtube sh- my life
0: do you follow any of those uh, youtube phenomenon people who who actually just show you their life all day long everything everything is put on there
1: I, I, it's so weird. It is. So, I watched one recently of a girl sort of in the Princess Beatrice mm. world. I mean, she's just a posh girl, I think, maybe from Made in Chelsea. And she had her camera on, you know, a selfie stick, and she's like, hey, hey hi. Um, so this is my front porch um this is my door and I come in here every single day I use the door Um, I come into the hallway I've got this um you know this is where I take my shoes off and I put my shoes this is my closet of shoes and she's got like 15 (laughs) pairs of shoes it's like why are you doing this if not to just show off about your nice house it's unbelievable why do they watch it and then so I was then expecting all the comments underneath to be like oh come on stop showing off like why are you doing this we don't need to see the inside of your home but most of the comments were things like beautiful home oh my god I love your jeans where are they from
0: oh my god yeah of course
1: it is worrying I'm not gonna lie YouTube is worrying obviously I I do create content and put it on YouTube most of it has about six views but I um I do feel like quite a voyeur on that Mm. And I don't have Instagram anymore and or Twitter. So I, I do feel like a bit of a sort of floating fly above that world, which is quite fun. Mm. But I get, I get sort of really weird recommendations now. So I got it. Okay, I don't know why. I don't know if I should be admitting this. But at the beginning of lockdown, when everyone was going really mad, I got into watching like nature videos of insects.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Carry on. <laughs>
1: So, like, spiders and scorp- scorpions and stuff. And I have my recommended page. I started getting recommended these videos of this man who puts different insects in a ca- cage and watches them fight. So I got recommended, like, leech versus scorpion. Who will win? And I found myself, like, on my phone at, like, 8 a.m., just watching mindlessly watching this video. Of a Come on, leech. Literally doing that. And then I think my boyfriend came in and was like, you are descending into the depths of somewhere very very horrendous you need someone to call you out yeah there's so much content on there and whether it's it's probably not legal for people to put stuff on but i rediscovered a lot of kind of like childhood tv shows and things like that and it's very nostalgic
0: yes well it's, the problem with nostalgia is uh, when you're 62 ellie is that double my age? Yeah, double your age. Is that everybody keeps sending you? Hey, have you seen yourself in this ad in 1984?
1: Oh my god! And you go, I
0: don't want to see myself in that ad in
1: 1984. I... What what ads? Oh, was, terrible! What's your best ad?
0: Well, I, I'll tell you the worst ones. I did some really <laughs> good ads, but it was always the good ones that were never shown much. It's always the shit ones. <laughs> They're the ones that get shown all the time, and people say, "Oh God, that ad is
1: terrible." <laughs>
0: I did one for a thing called Dustbuster, which was like a little portable hoover, a Dustbuster.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I love those. Mm. I've got one. Have you got one? There we are, you see. I
0: probably encourage you to get it.
1: You subtly influence my love of them. When did that advert come out? Probably about 92. Okay, there you go. Because my granny got one of those Dustbusters and I was obsessed with it because... I just thought it was so sort of satisfying and compact. (laughs) (laughs) And then recently I got one and I felt really sort of pleased and excited by
0: it. And does it work? Because I have to say, when we did the advert, we had to do this demonstration where you put the Dustbuster through some spilt sugar and it left a perfectly clean line. Now, to shoot that took about four hours because every time you put the Dustbuster through, they had to cut and then clean the whole. It just doesn't work
1: Yeah. I knew that that was a fake, it was a fake. I knew it was a fake. um no, it is quite effective, and it's very good for getting into nooks and crannies. <laughs>
0: And on that recommendation, i will buy one myself.
1: Yeah, you should. You should. Um, I mean, I'm a bit embarrassed of choosing YouTube, but I also think I've sold it well.
0: Yeah, you have. Absolutely brilliant. That's the first thing I'm going to do when we finish this interview is waste my life on YouTube. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I think as well when someone finds my time capsule, they will be – because probably – in 10 years, there'll be something new. Yeah. So YouTube won't exist anymore. So it's, it's quite a good relic yeah. of the internet age.
0: And they'll say, she was so cultured. Look <laughs> at that. Oh, scorpions against slugs. How interesting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the scorpion won, by the way. Of course. As you <laughs> would imagine. But the, the leech put up a good fight, which I was surprised by. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to put
0: YouTube. Into your time capsule. That's item number one. What's number two? We're going to take a short break here for some adverts. We'll be back in a moment. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. Okay, let's find out what else Ellie White would like to put in her time capsule.
1: Number two is more specific to me, and it is a place in Oxford, which is where I grew up, mm. and it's Port Meadow.
0: Yeah, it's lovely. I know it. Do you know it? mm Where do you live? I, well, I went to college in Oxford, so I know oh, that. Oh,
1: bloody yeah. hell.
0: No, I went posh girl.
1: <laughs> I went posh girl.
0: No, I went to the Poly.
1: Oh, nice, nice Brooks. Yeah. I saw loads of music gigs at Brooks mm-hmm. when I was growing up. They had a, and then I I worked at the Oxford University Brooks Club night when I left school. Oh. I was the barmaid at their club night, <laughs> which was apparently coined by FHM as being the easiest place to get laid in Britain.
0: <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, it, well, not for me either. But I was working very hard at the bar. Of course, so. of course, dedicated. Yes. Um, but no, Port Meadow is probably a, a quite a posh thing to put into your um, time capsule.
0: It is beautiful, though, isn't it?
1: It's really beautiful. It is for anyone that doesn't know. Why would you know? It's common land in Oxford. Mm. Uh, well, just out, not even just outside, almost central Oxford. Yeah. And it's beautiful uh, meadow with the River Thames running through it lots of boats lots of people living on boats um, it's probably how big would you say it was
0: well you could walk for miles down the paths couldn't you
1: yeah it's big anyway it is big and it's got it's a big flood plain as well and actually when I was younger it did used to freeze over every uh, winter and we used to run across the ice which was very fun but I spent a lot of time swimming in the river when I was a teenager we used to go off to school every summer we used to go off school and jump in Mm. and it was just it like it it was so sort of bucolic and idyllic Mm. and it made me feel very lucky to grow up there and to have that space and to have that place which was really, really, really beautiful and fun and kind of freeing. Yeah. And uh, when I look back at it it, it, it was a really, like, lovely time mm. in my life.
0: Um, this would have to be Port Meadow in which year? Because I think Paul Meadow has changed somewhat. Sadly. Oh, do you? Yes. I haven't
1: been there for ages. No. So. Well,
0: strangely enough, I did a play a couple of years ago in Oxford oh, really? about people who'd campaigned for different things, things that they felt strongly about. And we all sat oh, there and, right. and we, we said their words. And one of the characters had been campaigning to try and keep all the pathways clear and to stop them. Mm. They were starting to build sort of water defences and then build really posh houses and stuff. In oh, A. yeah, no, 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 not for that. No. Not for
1: that. They're actually student accommodation, but they were built all the way along the edge of the railway line, which backs onto Port Meadow. Mm. And then, sadly, they're so tall that you now can't see back into Oxford from Port Meadow. So they have actually blocked off a really lovely view. Mm. I mean, obviously, students need accommodation, but I, I do, I did think it was really protected, yes. so they couldn't build on it.
0: Apparently not. I mean, the reason it's not been built on is because it's a floodplain. But as soon as they, yeah, you know, and they, they did a lot of things like they built these posh houses and then tried to move all the people who live on the boat.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, they shut down the the boatyard, the did. Jericho boatyard, yeah. um, which was a big, there was a big position. And actually, Philip Pullman was a part, big part of that because yeah. he, that's where his, you know, his whole trilogy was basically based and set, mm. you know, based on that whole boatyard. And that doesn't exist anymore. No. Um, which is really sad. Yeah, that whole area has been really gentrified it's definitely, I imagine, not the same as it was years ago. But it's still very, very beautiful. Yes,
0: it is. There are still lots of parts of it that are gorgeous. Yeah. As you walk, you walk right down towards the end, past all the buildings, mm. there's that sort of um, weir, isn't there? Yeah. You, yeah. Is that where you used to swim? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We used to swim, basically there's two bridges that kind of intersect yeah. um, just as you get onto the Thames, and that's where we used to jump in. I mean, I used to get terror because I'm, I'm such a hypochondriac. So I used to get terrified of Viles disease, which my mum... Basically, I think my mum's, like, way of warning us not to hang out there was to um, tell us that the river was crawling with Viles disease. Mm. And I once jumped in and cut my foot open on the bottom. Um, it's obviously not clean. I mean, it's still the Thames.
0: No, no, no.
1: And then spent about a week thinking I was slowly walking towards my death. Yeah. <laughs> But <laughs> it's lovely and we used to have parties and down, down there as teenagers and hang out there all the time and um i mean i'm looking as i'm saying this i'm looking into the middle distance <laughs> <laughs> thinking back to my teenage life it, imagining was, it, it. was a lovely it's, it's a specific memory but i hope people can um take something from it yeah
0: so is that growing up in oxford is that the reason mm. that you then thought i'm going to go to university in bristol
1: i think because i grew i grew up half in london half in oxford right uh moved to oxford when i was about eight or something and um yeah bristol felt like a bigger place than oxford which it physically is Mm -hmm. um but also bigger metaphorically as well because i think By the time you get to 18, you're living in Oxford and you know every single person that lives there. Yeah. It becomes a very small place. Um, but Bristol, yeah, Bristol felt like a kind of step between Oxford and London. Mm. Yeah, that wasn't straight away going to like a massive city. Yeah. Um, but also had a kind of uniqueness that I think Oxford has. Bristol definitely had as well.
0: Yeah. If I had to choose a, a city to live in, uh at all and I don't live in a city but if I had to choose a city it would always be Bristol I love Bristol
1: I I loved it I absolutely loved it and I think yeah I'd I'd love to move back there it's so great very relaxed very interesting well they've they've toppled now the statue of Edward Coulson thank god well done but um that part of it is is strange and actually you, you we did engage with that quite a lot when we were when we were students and there was always petitions to like knock down that that statue. Mm. Um, ignored, completely ignored. ignored. Yeah, ignored. Obviously, mm. um, until now. But um, very, it's a very beautiful place and and really fun. Like really exciting. Like amazing nightlife. Yeah. And a kind of, there's definitely like an environmentally proactive community there. Yeah. That there's sorts of places like um St Werberg's, which is like an entire eco community where they've built all their houses to be environmentally friendly and there's a big movement of that in Bristol which I loved yeah that
0: was great yeah and you can get to the coast and all sorts of things rich.
1: exactly close to Wales <laughs>
0: Well, I can't have everything <laughs> <laughs> but in Oxford are you, were you uh would you say you were town not gown oh god yeah yeah bloody students
1: <laughs> when I think about it I'm like it's the most sort of hilarious divide mm-hmm. you know like Town and gown It sounds so posh, anyway. Doesn't it? Just. Fortunately, as a, as a town person, you you get to know the whole city. I could, I, I mean, I we used to try and crash student parties all the time when we were younger, and be like, just say you're doing English at Kings. Like, I don't think Kings is actually an Oxford college. It doesn't know. It, it's not. I could have chosen anything. And we were like fourteen. I don't know why they would ever believe us, but we managed it. <laughs> I don't know why we wanted to go to them but some of them were fun yeah (laughs) actually there's this amazing thing in Oxford which you you probably partook in as well called May Day yes which is which is really singular to Oxford yeah which I can maybe I'll put in as well just like just lump it in which is a big tradition which is where you, you on on the 1st of May well usually you stay up all night if you're a student and then we there were big parties, like in Port Meadow, actually, there were big parties, and you stayed up all night, and then you, everyone goes down to the centre of town and little choristers sing from the top of <laughs> it. sounds so twee, but it's beautiful. Yeah. They sing from the top of Magdalen Tower, and then loads of mad Morris dance <laughs> dance all morning.
0: <laughs> and people jump off Magdalen Bridge. And... and
1: then people jump into the river, and then there's parties all day, and it's very... Um, it's very unique talks with that. It I is.
0: I went to it once and I got so wrecked yeah, that I never went again and I thought, I'm not doing that again. Did
1: you ever jump in?
0: No, no. no.
1: I mean, that is quite dangerous because the river's quite shallow. Very there. shallow, yes. Um, but it's very fun.
0: What I liked about it was that you, you basically opened at six in the morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're open all night, and there's the Morris Dancing Societies of Great Britain descent. <laughs> My dad absolutely has an irrational fear of Morris Dancing.
0: It's a- not irrational.
1: I did. I actually made, made a short, um, which you can watch on YouTube, um, about an all-female Morris Dancing team. <laughs> Me and Vicky and yeah. play um, mother and daughter in it. We actually went to May Day in Oxford to like do some research. and um, I mean, I've, I used to do Morris Dancing when I was a child. I was part of a Morris dancing society at school and my dad was like, get away from me when I was in my Morris dancing outfit. Yeah, he was like, it is a national disgrace. I was like, no, it's stooped in a lot of some quite problematic history. Yes.
0: Quite. <laughs> I've played a Morris dancer uh, called Morris. Have you? Basically, I had to be a Morris dancer called Morris who'd released a record, trying to bring Morris dancing into the twenty first century. And so it was uh, a Morris dancing version of Bonkers. Some people think I'm bonkers, oh but my I just gosh. think I'm free. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Again, you can find that on YouTube.
1: Okay, good. I'm. I'm. I'm going to do your vacuum ad and then that oh,
0: no.
1: um yeah morris dancers are very entertaining but it's really boring watching yeah morris dancers dance it's not a fun or enthralling dance to watch
0: <laughs> they always turn up when you're having a nice time outside a pub yeah. on a sunny day yeah you think what holding a hat out there's jingling going on. oh no here we go
1: there's uh, morris, dancers morris dancers in rag jackets mm-hmm. And a, and a pig bladder on a stick. <laughs> I like that sort of old England-like folk kind of pagan-y sort of aesthetic. I think that's quite interesting. Mm. But maybe give or take more instances.
0: Well, I won't put any more instances on Port Meadow. No, no, just leave that. Okay. So we're going to put Port Meadow into the time capsule for you. That's lovely. you can wander down there <laughs> whilst watching YouTube on your phone. Yes. Marvellous. So where are you going next?
1: Well... I thought this is quite vague, but it's more like my female comedy heroes.
0: Mm -hmm. Fair enough.
1: It's sort of, well, it will become someone maybe more specific later on down the conversation. But um, at the moment, it's like a more broad conversation about people that have inspired me.
0: Okay. (laughs) If you're interested. (laughs) Not at all. What's the next one?
1: (laughs) No, of course I am. (laughs) No, I, I think I... I grew up in a definitely very male household. I've got brothers and mm. um, not to say that my my mum wasn't a, a dominant person. She was, but she has seven brothers. So I've got seven uncles and they were all hilarious. So funny. Humour was like a huge part of growing up and everyone like fighting to tell their joke. And it was a real, mm. I was quite scary like looking back on it going and seeing how competitive it was but it was a good like you know fighting ground for you as a child yeah did you get involved then oh god no i i I just was like oh they're all so funny (laughs) no i think when i went into comedy quite quite a few of them were quite like oh okay didn't realize you Mm. Yeah, yeah yeah what are you gonna do
0: tell my jokes
1: yeah it was it was amazing and so fun growing up having all of those big personalities but I think I realised when I got a bit older and was like finding my voice in some ways that like there weren't actually that many like funny women around you know like the comedy that you watch what that I watched mainly when I was younger was quite kind of male dominated as well not to say it wasn't very funny but I remember finding Smack the Pony like one Friday night when I was watching Friends or something and finding Smack the Pony and finding it just like Revolutionary, like really finding it life changingly kind of revolutionary for me. Yeah. And just being like, these, they are so funny. There isn't any element of why are they women doing comedy. It was like, they are just hilarious, Mm. really funny, timeless sketches. And actually, even if you watch them now, like they still hold up. They don't date at all. They're still so good.
0: And it was really the first time that a show was completely fronted by women, apart from French and Saunders, of course. But they were always held up as the, we do do women's comedy. Women are in comedy. Look at French and Saunders.
1: Weirdly, I didn't watch that much of them when I was younger, but since, obviously, like, they're incredible Mm -hmm. stalwarts and so funny. Yeah, I felt like it was weird. It wasn't that I was aware of being a girl and doing comedy or being funny in any way when I was younger. I just was yeah if you anyone can do anything yeah. like if you're funny you can you just do it and we had such a fun group of friends at school who were all like like unique and funny and sort of mad and kind of creative and that was really inspiring so I never thought it was abnormal to be a woman doing comedy
0: but it's brilliant that you didn't really because actually for many years women wouldn't do comedy mm. and also well I'm ashamed to say it there was mm. a Definitely a view that women couldn't
1: do comedy. Yeah, yeah. There's still a lot of sexism in the industry. Like, there just is. I mean, I even saw an article published recently being like, scientists proves that women aren't as funny as men. It was like, <laughs> why are you doing... Well, number one, why are you doing studies like that? And number two, why are you putting them out? What are you trying to prove? Yeah. But I found myself, like, even though I wasn't aware that it was a divide, hmm. I did find myself being drawn to the women in shows more than the men finding it more interesting finding it more like relatable and finding it more like okay yeah like you will really are my heroes like Kathy Burke Mm. or Julia Davis or like you know watching the day-to-day and seeing Rebecca Front and Dean McKinnon and all that kind of stuff and uh, you just kind of go like why am I being so there's amazing men in this obviously like incredible always but I'm finding myself like you're more interesting to me. Like you are, I want to be like you. Yeah, and which is why it's you know always so important to I have diversity in in these kinds of industries so that people can see themselves and be like I can do that. Yeah. Also, I think it is important to like differentiate and maybe not say that women and men are exactly the same. Mm. And you know, the, a female writer can bring something really unique and different to a project. A male point of view can't see absolutely, like and especially in recent years, are getting fortunately like the attention that they deserve. And there's so many more like women now doing comedy and and, and doing incredibly at it, and like Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge and mm-hmm. Daisy May Cooper and people like that. And y- you just go, it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's really opening up, isn't it? Which is about time. Yeah. I've I've come across heads of comedy departments who've just said, well, you know, they've actually used the word token woman. Mm -mm. I mean, I was involved in one of the first shows on ITV that actually had a female lead in a comedy show. I did the Kate Robbins show on Mm. ITV in the late 80s, and she was the star of the show, but they still felt they needed to put three men with her. Yeah, 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 of course. And now you find yourself, I mean, you look at, uh, well, I'm going to mention the other one again. You know, mm. the fact that you've got Holly Walsh, who's created the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then the whole cast, all the main parts in it are played by women. Yeah.
1: And Holly directed it as well, which is Gitchy.
0: great. And and then you've got really, really good men performers, really great. Yeah, people, yeah. You know, Neil Pearson and Steve Tompkinson, yeah. Simon Green, all, all those sort of people. Yeah. I'm really jealous I'm not in it i'm furious in
1: fact series two series two in a good (laughs) word okay
0: Okay. thanks very much
1: (laughs) but yeah i think yeah i think there's this weird fear with like more diversity becomes like less opportunities for like white men essentially but it's like no no it's just about making sure that everyone (laughs) is there for their talent and like getting seen and you're not going like there's a token woman like there's a token black person. Hmm. Like these are people who deserve to be here because they're brilliant.
0: Absolutely. And they've
1: been overlooked before. And I think that's a uh, really important, but going back to like what I'm putting in my capsule. So yeah, there were a few, but I think my favorite of all of them is, is probably Julia Davis <laughs> and her performance. It, well, in, in everything she does, but her everything, yeah. Uh, in icy night is my favorite comedy. One of my favorite comedies ever. And that's nice. She's amazing. The overall category is female comedy heroes, but she's probably my number one.
0: And of course, Rebecca then has gone right through all these things for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. I sort of tried to play it quite cool when I first met her. And then I think we were back in the Greenway once, and I was just like, "Do you know you inspired everything I've done?" <laughs> and she was quite like, "Lovely." And obviously, oh, well, she's she the loveliest woman in the whole. And she's, "Oh gosh, I do thank you. That's very kind, and, and you're brilliant too." I'm like, "Oh, totally you are." <laughs> and then it just became a bit disgusting, yeah. fantastic. Mm. Have you worked with Julia? I've never worked with her, but we have become friends. I hope that she would call me a friend. <laughs> yeah, become, she's become my friend.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or she. Call, oh, and, oh, I know. You're the person she refers to as the stalker.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It is friends if you camp outside their house Of every course night, it, it, it is. Of course it is. It's friends when someone has a restraining order. Um, no, we, <laughs> we are friends and she's, she's, yeah, she's amazing. But we've never worked together.
0: And I have worked with her and, and it was enormous fun.
1: Yeah. Did
0: you die with laughter in every scene? Well, we died with laughter in every scene and all the other scenes that were never put out. She would come in and suddenly say, oh, I've had an idea for a scene. And we'd then sort of do it. And she'd say, you say something like that. You say something like that. And then we'd film it. And then it was never seen again. The very last episode of 99, the first series where I die, right I'm poisoned, <laughs> um, was, we filmed that about four months after we'd finished filming. Because oh my God. when she started to edit everything together, she went,
1: I, I oh. forgot to
0: write a, an end.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That sort of brain is. So it's such an exciting thing to be working with, I think.
0: Yeah, it was. It was glorious. Really yeah. glorious. And she is. Yeah, you're right. She is absolutely one. of. She's completely unique, isn't she? That's mm. the thing that's amazing about her. I mean yeah. I mean everybody's unique, but she is unique in the sense that there's never been a, a comedian like her, I don't think. No.
1: No. Yeah, I think she's she's wonderful. She's wonderful. Mm. I could think about her for days. <laughs> and that's what's got me into so much trouble. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll just sit here and think about her then. That's lovely. It's <laughs> just a moment of silence for Julia yeah. Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so
1: yeah, she's my she's my pinnacle. Yeah.
0: I'm going to put the concept of uh, inspiring women in comedy into the, the time capsule. Then, you know, when you're there, you might suddenly find some that you didn't know about. That's true. You know? That's very true. Okay.
1: Um, my next one is the London Dungeon. <laughs> really?
0: Well, <laughs> By London Bridge?
1: It's actually moved location now. Has like it? Oh, um, sorry. It's on South Bank now. Ah, okay. Um, but I, <laughs> I went as a child. And was honestly scared to my skin. I mean really, really, I left with so much fear, mainly about Jack the Ripper,, because mm. there's a big Jack the Ripper section in there. Um, but I went I decided that I would go on my 30th birthday this year. because I was like I'm gonna have like a fun day and that seems to me like something that's quite fun and it was honestly I mean it it was so enjoyable it's so shit (laughs) (laughs) it's so shit and so funny and kind of crap yeah but in a in a really fun way so it's ridiculously expensive it's like 25 quid or something and you're in a group with about sort of 45 like Eastern Europeans on a school trip who are all 14 and absolutely terrified and all on their mobile phones filming each other, <laughs> which kind of takes away from the, fear, from, from the fear of it. And then there are all of these actors. I know. They do little parts. Some of them are good. Yeah. Some of them are good. Yeah. Most of them don't give a shit and are so angry that they're there. Like, mm. there was this girl who was... Showing it. So, the first bit, you get into a little boat and you're all called traitors. You're basically prisoners. That's the concept of going through all this thing. She's literally going, traitors, get in the boat, traitors, put your arms inside the boat, traitors. Like, she is, she was the most, she phoned it in so much. And then there are other people who are doing the performance of their lives in there. I mean, like an Oscar worthy (laughs) performance is acting their heart out, going so over the top. Um. It was just so entertaining. And then we got to the end and we went into the sort of gift shop area and the guy was like, would you like to purchase a bucket of mead or something like that? And I was like, it's actually my 30th birthday. And he was like, like his eyes sort of widened. And he was like to my boyfriend like, Oh, you've really, you've really chosen really, really badly. <laughs> um, but it's a really entertaining place, and I would highly recommend it to anyone visiting London, <laughs> and, and to any, and, and to any local Londoners. It's a it's such an entertaining day out. Brilliant. If you're kind of up for uh, like ironic laugh, mm. and you have twenty five pounds to spare, I mean it is quite steep, but it is very entertaining and still quite scary some bits
0: right yeah london bridge used to come out of the thing and there'd be loads of people standing around smoking cigarettes with fake blood all over them and
1: i know there it's moved um i will be specific about this it is next to the london aquarium on the south
0: bank right
1: (laughs) um so yeah that's my that's my next thing
0: that's fantastic we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna put it into the time capsule and then you could any moment you like you can do you want to be 14 and terrified or do you want to be 30
1: i want to be 30 i think it's more enjoyable yeah it's more enjoyable and i just i just honestly like i there are a few moments where i screamed <laughs> and i'll leave the rest to everyone else to find find out for themselves yes i can't give away too many of their secrets <laughs>
0: okay we've put that in there Ellie uh,
1: so we've got the last one but this is the one that I want to forget yeah I wanted to put a outfit that I used to wear a lot when I was about 14 in there <laughs> mm. which was a very very long kilt and court shoes and a crop top um, <laughs> but what I'm going to put in is more of a concept but it's bad gigs
0: all oh, right yeah have you had many
1: Oh gosh. Gotcha. Mm. I've had more than I'd like to remember, which is why I'm putting them in. <laughs> um the bad gigs are humiliating. But I'm talking like not gigs where like your microphone doesn't work, I'm talking gigs where you die, yeah. like where you don't get any laughs when you're doing comedy. <laughs> and they are seriously, seriously deflating times. Oh. I mean existentially horrific. <laughs> and you do live stuff, don't you? Yeah.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I remember doing shows in Edinburgh when I first started doing like student comedy. And honestly, sometimes it'd be silent for an hour. (laughs) And you kind of go, the producer would come off, Charlie, in fact, Charlie Mm. Perkins would come off and go, you know, they were smiling, they were (laughs) smiling. And you go, not good enough. Basically, the aim of comedy is to make people laugh. And so if you can't hear, you either have a, a problem with your ears, which is something you should get looked at, or you failed. Mm. And so to, like, know that you failed when you come off stage after trying so hard to make people laugh, it, it's really, like, the ultimate failure. It really sort of gets you deep in your heart, like humiliation. Yeah. And I used to get really, 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 really nervous. In fact, I still do when I do live comedy. Really, 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 really nervous. And obviously the feeling when you've done really well at a gig is kind of unmatchable, like amazing, great. Mm. The feeling when you've done badly is like a humiliation that I can't even explain. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like, I, I just remember, I mean, I've got a few sort of times that really stick out. One was um, actually, this isn't an example. This is just a kind of sad story more than a humiliating story but I was doing my first Edinburgh show in which I did half an hour of different characters with another guy who was doing half an hour of different characters and I mean we used to get maximum six people in every day Mm. and a lot of the time they would just be people who were like sheltering from the rain (laughs) and like didn't give a shit and so you'd like act your heart out like often to just silence it's sort of it's sort of fine Doing that to really few people because, like, you're often buoyed by the crowd. Mm.
0: You've got a partner as well. You've got someone yeah. to, to die with.
1: Exactly. But mm. when you're dying to, like, in front of a really big room full of people, that's really horrible. But if you're dying in front of three people, it's you can make it quite funny. Yeah. Some people are incredible at dying, i.e., like they take it really in their stride. Mm. I mean, I just, like, my voice just goes really quiet and I start to shave. (laughs) (laughs) I really speed up and then I just run off stage. But anyway, this time I was in a room next to and on at the same time as someone who was doing so well. Mm. And they were, like, up for an award near the end of the month. And I used to go out of my thing every day and stand there and be, like, just see his cue going round the block and just be, like... Is anyone? Is anyone here for our show? No. And one day, no one came. Absolutely um. no one. And I went outside and I, in the queue to his show, was like Steve Coogan, John Bishop, like all of these people, huge queue around the block. And I just remember, is anyone here for Ellie White? L- no, <laughs> no one. So I went back inside and I was like, I cannot believe no one, no one has turned up. No one. I mean, like, we can't do the show. And then... About five minutes later, about 12 people suddenly arrived. Hurrah! And I was like, incredible. 12 people, brilliant. And then this one guy at the front went, sorry, um, do you think we could borrow some of your chairs? Uh, because there's no seats left in the oh, other room. So dear. we just, and they were all there to borrow chairs. Oh
0: my God, Ellie.
1: <laughs> so oh. that was hard. That, that was is hard, hard work. Um, but yeah, I've had I've had I've definitely had silent silent gigs. Fortunately, they're few and far between now. And I do comedy now with a partner. Sometimes we do stuff by ourselves, but mainly we do it together with Natasha Dimitriou. Yeah, who's another yeah. fantastic comedy actress. She and is
0: her and her it, brother. Both yeah, really going places.
1: We it's actually much nicer doing something with someone else because mm. you kind of share the the pain and fortunately we don't share it as as often as we used to but so we used to do these characters that were like um eastern european circus performers and um we used to do this like dance routine at the end (laughs) so if if the show was going really well like joyful joyful if the show was going really badly we would we would look at each other before we started the dance and just be like this is humiliating Mm -hmm. and i remember one show we went on after someone that had been fire breathing so there was like liquid paraffin all over the stage the audience were already so bad I mean like they'd been heckling people it was like I was trembling before I went on we went on we, we we bombed people were shouting stuff and then we had to do the dance routine and there was liquid paraffin all over the stage so we were just slipping around I was wearing a leotard we were just slipping around In liquid paraffin, whilst a silent audience looked on at these two desperate girls.
0: Oh, was it ever filmed?
1: (laughs) I I don't think it was, sadly. It's like the stuff of nightmares. You know, when people go, like, people have probably said this to you, and they go, God, I couldn't do comedy. You're so brave. Mm. And then in my head, I'm like, what's of bloody frontline worker, is it? And then I think, actually, no, it is It is really brave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am incredibly brave.
1: <laughs> I am so brave.
0: Oh, Ellie, how fantastic to hear the things from your life? I'm sure there are many more. I'm going to come back and do you again.
1: <laughs> oh, good, good. I've got plenty. You've
0: got plenty. Uh, but well it's been brilliant to talk to you
1: oh well it's been so fun
0: and we'll both get back to our doing absolutely nothing
1: yeah that know? would be great mm. that would be great um so do i just hang up the phone now
0: no we just stay here we've got i've got nothing else to do it's a lovely day outside it? it
1: is and i am gonna go i probably will go for a walk try and get some color into my <laughs> untannable face <laughs> <laughs>
0: You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Ellie White. In fact, the fact that you're listening to the bit at the end suggests you may have enjoyed it enough to subscribe to this podcast. Luckily, you can do that. Yay! Ha-ha! Anyway, you can subscribe on Acast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have the time, please do rate us and leave a review. You can follow us if you fancy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search My Time Capsule at MyTCPod or Fenton Stevens. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens. It was a cast-off production. The music is by Pass the Peas Music, and well, no, I say it myself—it's damn fine music. Let's have a listen. It's good, isn't it? Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.